Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Doing good, Shad. Yeah. I'm doing good. I am excited because to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the GWF, we're hitting the, uh, we're kind of jumping back on that horse, and I'm very excited. All right. We are going to get, first of all, thank you everybody out there for being a part of this with us and listening along. We are going to go ahead and get our shout outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code 4CORNERSPODCAST. That's the number 4, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. No spaces. Save 10% off your order. And then we're going to go to Matt for other shout out. Yeah, that'd be to Orlando Cologne. Uh, he apparently, guys, is no longer the WWC Universal Heavyweight Champion. Oh. Uh, he apparently lost it earlier this year, but who, who he held that belt. Uh, <clears throat> the name is Gilbert, but it's not like Gilberg. It's El Super Phoenix, oh, okay. who, is a, who is a Puerto Rican wrestler who has actually held that title like three other times so he's he's a very established in puerto rico yeah uh, so he didn't, he didn't the name yeah he didn't lose it to a chump he lost it to you know a really a, a guy who's been there several times before like a premier puerto rican worker but orlando cologne held that belt of amazing 553 days he's number four on the rankings of all time wc universal heavyweight champions beaten only by uh well, two of the people who beat him on that list is Carlito and <laughs> and his father, Carlos Colon. Oh, man. Well, that's a heck of a rain. I'm happy yeah. for him. All right. So, as Brad said, we are going to be talking about the GWF tonight. Brad, why don't you give us a little bit more primer here? So, uh, we, we just decided to pick this up from the debut episode. So, this TV taping took place in June 28th. 1991 from the Sportatorium, which is the now Global Dome, according to this. Uh, you know, the the history of the GWF is interesting because uh, the owner, Joe Pettisino, fell for kind of the Nigerian Prince scandal before that was actually a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want a good primer on that, I would toss um, Chris Zellner and David Bixenspan um, five bucks, get in their Patreon, and they have like a really good four-hour episode about the whole formation of the GWF, going oh, wow. through all the newsletters and stuff. Now, the, the interesting thing is, is P. 
people don't quite know how he Joe Pettacino figured it out because okay. there's like a lapse of time and then like all of that Kongi sports <clears throat> and um, Olu Oliami is gone and the, mm-hmm. they obviously didn't have a ton of money for this. Okay. But, well, um, I mean that's that's pretty. Usually running in the sportatorium means you're not putting a whole lot of money into venue booking, right? Yeah. But um, it's it's an interesting tale. It's um, it's and they they actually I think Bix tracked Olu Oliami down in Atlanta during the wow. show. Um. So yeah, uh, I would I would highly recommend their episodes on that. They they go into like yeah. the booking and and um, if you if you never listen to Between the Sheets, what they do is they cover wrestling historically by going through all of the <laughs> the newsletters. <clears throat> And reading what like Dave and like Wade and Steve uh, Beverly and other guys have to say about things at the time. Cool. Yeah. We should add like now it's become like a punchline to be scammed by a quote unquote Nigerian businessman, but like in the early '90s, like no one really caught on to that scam. Yeah. Like this is kind of like one of the first instances where that gimmick actually worked. Like someone actually they were able to because now it's like a yeah business wink wink wink. Right, right. Uh, but and back it, then it's like it was people thought it was legitimate and it wasn't there the internet wasn't there to facilitate that so easily oh no yeah, yeah. they had to do a lot more work to get their hooks <laughs> in for that sort of stuff yeah and i it, okay oh and it plays into the first segment and i'll go into it a bit when we get to that but go ahead with what you're gonna say yeah i was just gonna say like i'm glad we went back to the gwf but gwf is not I mean, we kind of expressed this when we, when we did that other episode on it. It's not the best promotion in the world, but it is. It's oddly just really fun. Like there, there, even the stuff that's not very good is at least just like kept short, and the stuff that is fun is like pretty fun. It's a, and it can get kind of wacky. It's it's almost it makes, endearing to me. It's it makes endearing. sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that you're totally right, Matt. And the other thing that I like is that it makes sense there's not like they don't have any decisions at least that i've seen so far that you look at and you're like why in the hell would you do that it's like every everything that they do all of the decisions they make if you're looking at looking at it from i guess a more critical or maybe smarky standpoint or whatever we want to call it they all make sense there's mm-hmm. there's no you don't look at anything and go well why in the hell would you do that because it's like well yeah of course you're gonna do that that's why would you not, you know, or even if you don't like what they did, it's not like they did anything wrong. You're just like, oh, OK, well, I can see why they're doing that. Maybe I would have done it different. But that, you know, it, that that's just such a relief to me sometimes. I, I liken it to junk food. Like it's kind of like a junk f- food promotion. Mm-hmm. Mm, I could see that. Yeah, it's not a ton of nutritional value, but it is pleasant to eat. Like to consume, not, I guess. Yeah, you're not gonna see you're not gonna see like all Japan in the nineties. You're not gonna see anything like truly amazing. But mm-hmm. it's a fun watch. It's usually an easy watch. And um you'll have fun. I think that's where it's at its strongest. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it, they've got they've got an eye for having good people too. Yeah, they do a good job of like getting a solid, a solid batch of guys. So mm. we kind of hit our first segment here. So this is Craig Johnson with Joe Pettacino and um, uh, Max Andrews. 
So they're talking about the first thing they really talk about is how the USWA is globalizing. So this is kind okay. of a holdover of so during the whole Ulu Oliami thing, they bought the USWA, but that fell through when there was actually no money for it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of when the whole like thing started to come apart. So Jerry Jarrett sold it to him for like a million dollars, and they were going to get like the TV and all that stuff. And then like <clears throat> all these deadlines hit where money was supposed to hit Jarrett's bank account, and it didn't. It didn't. You know, there was always some excuse for it. And then, you know, he finally just hit a point where he's like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to keep my wrestling promotion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's kind of that. So that's kind of a holdover from this. But the one thing you'll notice with this episode is they pretend like they are an existing wrestling promotion. Not a brand new one. Right. Because there's there's some weird stuff and we'll get to it when we get there. But they, they pretend like some angles are pre-existing and there's like this fan question segment and the fan is obvious was obviously given a question to ask because mm. there's no way this fan would there's no way this fan cares that much about that question yeah or he would know to ask that question yeah, yeah. or and, and like you said like who who is really going to be that outraged by a heart punch <laughs> <laughs> I, it's i don't know it's it it's just it, honestly it's a joke of a move it and, has been for a long time and then there is um so they they have like a fake world champion that they didn't man- mention but when they get to like the tag team tournament they um there was a fake tag team that had had the titles previously i think called the english lords and they had to vacate the titles because they had a car accident on the autobahn in europe and then that led to them having a tag team title tournament in Texas. And I'm not making that up. I mean, to be honest, as far as hand wavy bullshit goes, that's at least got some thought to it. Yeah. They so. also made a big point. He didn't even come up. He didn't appear, I mean, in this episode. But they made a big point <clears throat> to, to announce that Axel Rotten was part of the promotion and he was the uh, – he was the Commonwealth champion, <laughs> which it's like, and he had that, he had had that belt for some time. And it's like, dude, you're promoting, this is the first episode of your show. I also like how uh, Axel Rotten was a European <laughs> style wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a um, Robin Hood men in tights bit. It's like, what part, what part of Europe are you from? South Central. <laughs> Like, okay, yeah, we'll go with that guy, sure. Yeah, and it's just like, I just find it humorous, too, that they're talking about how this is this big global promotion, and they're going to run shows in the Sportatorium. Right. Because it's like... The, yeah, okay, For if we have any fans out there who don't know, we're not going to be exhaustive on it, but... This is the Sportatorium is the place where you have the stories about like massive rats crawling around in the locker room and um, no air conditioning, no air conditioning. So it was a breath of fresh air to get out of the locker room. Um, I think they added AC for the Global Wrestling Federation because I think they, they obviously renovated it because I will give Global one thing is they actually made the Sportatorium look like a passable building instead of the 
tin shack it often often looks like on world class shows. Yeah, I didn't recognize it at all. It didn't look anything like the world class stuff. They did a good job of like covering up how awful a building it is. The um it it had the stories like in in Foley's first book he talks about it and what kind of place it was and um I mean there's a cornet story about him flat footed jumping over one man gang because of a rat that fell on his leg out of the <laughs> out of the rafters and stuff like that so there it, it's not a place with um the most sterling of reputation in terms of uh of uh quality i kind of sad though that i'm i'm not an older person i couldn't have like seen a show at the sportatorium because i feel like i feel like it has an innate piece of like wrestling history and there's like a sense of loss of not getting to experience that i understand that um and i mean let's be honest here it's texas you can just shoot the rats because probably most of the people in the crowd are armed. That would probably be true even for today. I don't know. It, I, I'm, I'm just – I don't know that I would be super excited to work a show there. Um, be like, yeah, we want you to come down to Texas, work a show with us at Sportatorium. Really? Uh, okay, okay, that, that's nice. <laughs> I think Cornette said that Dallas was easy because you only worked once or twice a week. Um, yeah, in the time in the time period he was there, the I mean the Von Erichs were basically royalty in town. Like he had a story about going to the big uh, FM station in town and telling the DJ what to play because because he was on the card with the Von Erichs, not because. He wasn't. He wasn't in the main event, but he, the fact that he was like involved in the same thing they were involved in let him, you know, get away with doing that. Yeah. Which, wow. Speaking of Jim Cornette, our next segment, um, Jim Cornette comes out. He's managing uh, Stan Lane, and they demanded a big bad opponent so they could prove themselves in uh, this TV title <laughs> tournament, and they got the Patriot. So it's your typical Jim Cornette promo. He actually, I actually think he does a really good job of, they actually both do a really good job of putting the Patriot over on this first show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he said that we, not only did they want a big, bad opponent, they want the, the biggest and the baddest so that they can make the point. And that's what they got. And uh, I mean, you know, he's doing his, his typical corny shtick but it it works i mean it's good heel heat and um i i enjoy the fact that they do this whole thing about being you know dipstick heels and yet they're still acknowledging just what kind of threat the patriot is i only think he Uh, and stan lane work two tapings maybe or one i know they don't they don't hang around right yeah i don't really i didn't really remember them being in the in global so that would that would kind of track that they only made like a very limited appearances i think he said he just did it as a favor for joe mm-hmm. 
So um, I'm guessing they did like this and maybe like another taping because I think they bunched up like, the early ones. Because so one thing about the GWF, if you get like the, the footage and stuff, there's a lot of footage because this was they are airing new content like I think four or five days a week on ESPN for a while for like mm-hmm. the first six ish months. So that is a lot of content. Yeah. So they're doing really long TV tapings and like the booking gets a little strained because of, of that, of that. But it also lets you, if you want to get the DVDs, like it's a very developed feeling promotion because there's a lot of shows. Yeah. Um, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So we head off to our first match of the tournament. <clears throat> this is um, longtime area favorite. Brian Adidas versus Billy Black. Is it Brian Adidas or Brian Adidas, like the shoe company? Adidas, I think. I just say Adidas. Uh, they, because, like, you know how old Chirons are. It gets misspelled. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think Brian Adidas's claim to fame is one of his matches were was playing on the TV in Silver Bullet when the drunk gets eaten by <laughs> the werewolf. The werewolf. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, um, that's also that's a Gary Busey movie, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he's um, like the Busey. uncle. <laughs> You're right, actually. He wasn't that. That's one of the better Stephen King movies, actually. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, Brian Adidas, he was, I think he was like a world-class mainstay. Yeah, he was. He got in trouble, I think, for claiming to be like a Von Erich or something at some point. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a, that's a bold move, Cotton. Huh. Yeah, I mean, did in trouble with the Von Erics, or did they, like, book him like that? I think they got, I think he got in trouble with them. I don't know. He's not, like... Oh. He was, he was in World Class for a while. I think he won, like, he's, like, one of those guys that was, like, a mid-carder. I can look at mm. his titles here. Because, I mean, never, never put it past Fritz to, to do something. Like, making <laughs> Ricky Vaughn, uh, Rick, making Ricky Vaughn and Lance Von Erich. Yeah. Okay, so he was the Texas heavyweight champion. Oh, wait, this is post-World Class. Never mind. Okay, uh, world television champion um, a couple times. American tag team champion with Iceman King Parsons. Um, Texas heavyweight champion in 85 a couple times. And then he was the six-man tag team champion with Kerry and Kevin. <clears throat> And then he was the when they did like that going national thing, they were he was the Texas heavyweight champion. Then he held the tag titles with um, Al Madrill and Frank Lancaster, old Frank Lancaster. And then he was a Pacific Northwest tag team champion with Buddy Rose. At one point. Hmm. So okay. that's a that's a solid like mid cardish career. I think so. Uh, worth doing. Um, he's pretty bland though. I don't think he I, he he you really get to see his limitations here as like a personality because he's kind of like um he's kind of like just notebook paper. He is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Matt. I'll, I'll let you go and just say he is. But on the other hand, because I have in my notes here, it says you can you can tell that Adias is the veteran who's kind of steering the boat. Um, 
because he kn- he knows what he's doing, and uh, you know he he does a pretty good job with it. Or I'm sorry, Matt, what were you gonna say? Oh no, I was just gonna say like he's he's entirely like nondescript. He's not he's good enough in the ring clearly, but there was nothing like special about him. No offense yeah. to the guy. I... Just was... didn't didn't stand out at all. He was <laughs> adequate adequately average. I think that's probably a fair way to put it. Now, I will say, I, I, one thing I like automatically about the GWF, and it was a little silly in this match, but I liked how Craig Johnson and Scott Hudson are acknowledging Billy Black's success outside of the GWF. And it gets mm-hmm. a little silly because they'll be like talking about his hot Japanese moves, and then he'll just do like a punch. And it's oh, like, yeah. It's like, okay, guys, you need to stop saying that now. I, I, I had no idea who bad boy Billy Black was, but... I looked it up, and he did apparently hold the uh, the All Japan Tag Titles with uh, Joel Deaton for yeah. like eight days, and they were selling him as like, oh my god, hot Japanese talent. And it's like, okay. <laughs> he was he was also like a Georgia indie guy, which um, so he had an in with Joe Pedicino because like a lot of mm. I don't remember the name of the company. There's like this Georgia All Star Wrestling, I think, is what it was called at the time which has some like crossover talent wise with this, but he also did some SMW stuff, which was like a couple years later and obviously was a little more developed as a talent by then. And um, him and Joel Deaton did some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause you can kind of tell with Billy black, you can tell he's really raw in this, but you can tell he has some athletic ability to him. He's got potential and he gets through the match fine. But it's also clear that he's uh, he's newer at it. And he, there's a reason he's a tag worker at this point in his career, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this was perfectly fine. Um, good opener for TV at this time. This is perfectly inoffensive. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, um, it had one of the things that I liked in it was it had actually a, a pretty good pace to it. It didn't really seem to drag anywhere or you know they weren't it, it was consistent and um you know that yeah it's perfectly serviceable and adias is a uh as you said he's he's dry white toast but he also knows what he's doing and you know it 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 was it was pretty good and um like i said i, I like the pacing on it the pacing was not uh, you know, crazy or anything. It didn't need to be, but it it uh, it carried through pretty well, and I can see why they put it as the opener. I'd say this is the second best match on the show. Uh, uh, you know what? I think I agree with you on that. Uh, that's that's actually probably true. Um, I didn't think it was fantastic, but it, it was fine. It was fine for what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So up next, uh, we have what I think is the best segment of the show. So this is, um, well, Norman comes out with Joe Pettacino, and he's pretty much like, hey, I'm not your friend. I haven't been your friend for a couple of months. I met the boss, and he tears up his little Norman um, teddy bear, and he says he's now Muck and Sing. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much just tells everyone off, and I thought this was like a fantastic promo. 
I actually really like this promo. This promo was like fantastic because we last saw well Mike Shaw. Um, we last saw him in I, I think it was it was WCW. Yeah, he was Norman the and Lunatic. He, he was like yeah Norman um, the Lunatic. He was like Teddy Long's <clears throat> buddy from like an insane asylum or something, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But he was <clears throat> totally portrayed like as a babyface. And for those who a more like modern example. I guess it's not really modern. You're looking like at a decade plus at this point, but like imagine him as like a prototype of like the Eugene Dinsmore character from. I would say Eugene, Eugene mixed with some, some hints of mankind. Yeah. Like he was presented almost as kind of like a a simpleton, but, but kind of almost like a gentle giant where, you know, he 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 didn't mean any harm except, of course, against the heels. Like he was a total face. And I actually love this promo because um, it was it was Pettacino, right? He was interviewing him. Yeah. 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 He was like, yeah, like you know, you come out with this teddy bear, and and kids just love you. Like they, oh, there's like must be a hundred kids out there bringing bringing new teddy bears. And and he had like a really great like line or something like, oh, a hundred teddy bear it's not like 100 that's like the total iq of the audience out there yeah. <laughs> it's like who it, it was something that where he didn't he didn't get real dirty or nasty um with how he's insulting the crowd especially since it was prefaced that it's like a bunch of kids who are looking to yeah. looking out to see you so he didn't trash the kids which i thought was really smart it was just like the typical kind of heel thing trashing the audience just like oh all of them out there are just stupid they're idiots they're dumb they don't the 100 iq points between all of them which is it was to me what i thought was clever because it's like he's insulting the crowds he's getting heel heat but he's not directly insulting the kids because that would have kind of been like maybe a bridge too far but yeah um i love this yeah i can't believe wwe used him as bastion booger i had a i have a soft spot in my heart bastion booger i thought the gimmick was like so ridiculous that i actually it it's one of those things that you know you you watch a tv show or just something in pop culture and you're like this is so bad it's actually good they yeah and they, prior ferguson too yeah, yeah i was maybe, gonna say that yeah but, maybe it's like so bad it's good only to you but still it's like you know it's like not really supposed to be good but you kind of have like a, a soft spot for it that's me <laughs> bastion booger yeah. i thought the gimmick was so dumb but he had a unique look at the time, and it was kind of funny. So I, I enjoyed the music. It was I don't even remember what the music was like. Farts. It was like farts and burps. Oh. Yeah, it was just it was just yeah, it was just bodily functions <clears throat> on the way to the ring, trying to make him as gross as possible. Yeah, it was not good. But here and, he's. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm agreeing with you because one other thing to take it a step further is his ring gear was made to look like duct tape. It's like, oh, is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, it's supposed to look like duct tape. And oh. you look at it and you're like, uh, on one hand, I'm like, why would you do that? And then on the other hand, I'm like, I guess that just kind of adds to the whole layer of gross because you're like, this dude doesn't even have real gear. He's just made it out of duct tape. Like, it, it builds on to the, the booger gimmick, I guess. Well, and, and his, his finish was just him standing over someone and doing like a little weird shake of his hips and then dropping down to his knees where his crotch is in the guy's face yeah like yeah. that was i don't, <laughs> I don't know what that's okay. about see here's the thing about that that was not supposed to be a pinning predicament it was actually a submission hold but the people would uh, get counted out before they could submit 
Oh, I, I see. just I just made all oh, that. Yeah, he hadn't he because he would he had make sure his balls were extra ripe before he did that <laughs> move. The thing is, though, if you look at like stills out there, like the dude, for as big as he was, could give like a a pretty good um, leg drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean that could have been your finisher there. You have like a four hundred pound the wrong dude company for that one, but yeah, well that's yeah. true. But <laughs> well actually no, I think Hogan was gone by that point, right? He oh, was, was he? No, he was. Well, yes and no. He was when he came in. He was. He had that last title reign where like he just fucked mm-hmm. off for um, the whole time and just did some canned promos before jobbing to Yoko. Mm. Well, regardless, this was kind of the the re-debut of Muck and Singh, because uh, for those who are like scholars of wrestling, uh, he, Mike Shaw, AKA Muck and Singh, he did, he did that character in stampede in like what the eighties. Yeah. And he was actually like, uh, he was actually like a, a pretty big star there. I want to say like he was, I think he was presented as one of their main heels. He won the, he won the North American heavyweight title three times. Um, mm. Tag titles three times with Gamma Singh, with Vokan Singh twice, Jerry Morrow once. Uh, he's been the North American. Oh, champion. Jerry Morrow was like a big, a really big um big deal stampede like, guy. Yeah, in the early. Oh 80s. wait, Vulcan Singh was Gary Albright. Wow. Wow. Was that was that the whole like Karachi Vice stable, or was that, am I confusing that no, with something that else? Be, that might be the Karachi Vice thing. Yeah, like they, I, I have not, I have not seen a lot of, uh, a lot of Stampede, Stampede's which is unfortunate. Really, Stampede mm-hmm. TV is dry, is it's just dry, and it's hard to get through, in my opinion. Like the really? matches are good, but like the TV, <laughs> I don't particularly care for. Mm. And Ed Whalen's an idiot, and he he just ruins everything <laughs> he touches because like. He he was like so he was like a TV announcer like TV personality that that really got a say over things but he wasn't like a wrestling guy so he would intentionally like sabotage stuff with his mm-hmm. with his stupidity so it makes it hard sometimes. Gotcha. <laughs> it's kind of a Jim Hurdish it sounds like if, except if you, intentionally. If you ever listened to Between the Sheets, Bixen's fan does actually kind of a funny impression of him. Mm. Um. So up next we have. Um, oh, can I, can yeah. I, in a, like, sorry to interject, but I can't go without um, mentioning Stampede without <laughs> without reminding everyone of one of Bobby Heenan's all-time best lines. I forget which pay-per-view it was, but it was Vince McMahon is going on commentary with Bobby, and Vince McMahon goes, "Oh, Helen Hart is uh, sitting behind us," <laughs> and Heenan goes, "Oh, that's the smell." <laughs> Actually, you know, when when this show's over, you should ask um you should ask our our buddy Justin about um Ed Whalen and see what he has to say about it cuz Justin was a little young for Stampede, but he might have some opinions on it. Mm, he's from about that region, isn't? No, he's from Edmonton, my bad. They might have gone it, sh- though cuz they we should were... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say he might they might have gotten it in Edmonton, but he he's more of an Edmonton guy, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I was thinking he was Calgary, and I'm like, no, he's not Calgary. He's he's Justin? like in yeah. He's uh like Saskatchewan, I think. Okay, I thought he was he's, closer. He's to like in the plains. Like he's yeah. oh, he's probably he's closer to like Alberta than anything. Yeah, he's he's like in he's in the <laughs> wild, the wilds of like the oil 
fields and stuff. Oh yeah, he's he's totally in in um in oil country. You know, we should try to get um I don't know if he knows specifically. I know I've heard like a, a well, probably like a ten year old podcast, but I know Dylan Hales has had people on an old podcast talking about like Canadian wrestling. Oh yeah. Dylan if if Dylan hasn't somehow magically seen it all, he knows someone that has. Yeah, I remember this this podcast he did with some dude who I think had written a book and if he hadn't, like he he basically might as well have. And he starts going into like not only just like Stampede stuff, but like the Maritimes province. And I'm like, what the fuck is the Maritimes? That's like province? Leo. Bur- <laughs> that's like Leo Burke's thing. And I think um like JJ oh, Dillon was... owed owned part of mm-hmm. that. But yeah, that's like Leo Burke's area. Yeah, and he was just rattling off stuff, and it's like my eyes started to like glaze over just because it's like so much information you're trying to th- process. This, this is how this is how awful into wrestling I am. Someone had like. Mm-hmm. A 35 disc Leo Burke compilation, and I like raised my eyebrows, and I'm like, I kind of want that, hmm. because you know, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so up next we have, I, I guess we have our Hoss fight <clears throat> of the night, and that would be, um, that would be, if anyone's watched any of like indie wrestling in the early 90s or any of the USWA stuff. Uh, stand by Sweet Daddy Falcone versus Randy. Sweet Daddy Rhodes. Falcone. And this is um. I remember, I remember Sweet Daddy. I, I think, I think probably from GWF. You know who else I remember from GWF? There, uh, two people, and they mm-hmm. actually, I mean, they were in, they were in other promotions like USWA, but uh, Hollywood John Tatum. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a UWF guy. He jobbed in um mid-atlantic i think he Mm -hmm. did he did world class i bet he was a florida guy at some point he probably did i think he did like everything yeah and the other guy was uh the curly haired gary young (laughs) was it gorgeous gary young yep because he was a i think he was a (laughs) dallas guy forever yeah i remember both of them there's a lot of guys from this that i remember from other stuff um (laughs) the one thing i'm sad about is we're gonna because so the plan for the summer is to do this whole tournament, but I was sad that um, we have to wait for Rasta the Voodoo Mon. Oh yeah. Because that also gets us um, that also gets us Jeff Gaylord never really dying to talk about him after his um, his <laughs> his bio on on crime and sports. Mm. So I found out I guess in um in the eighties when he was in college he was a male uh-huh. stripper and he said he painted himself green and called himself the incredible hulk (laughs) am i confusing him with someone else like wasn't he dumb enough to rob like the same bank twice yes he robbed the same (laughs) bank twice (laughs) i mean come on because that was because we we talked about it once i couldn't remember the joke then i remembered what it was it was um it was um roberto from futurama who you know was like the stabbing robot and um he robbed a bank and then he had Fry and Bender along. He's like, but you already robbed the bank. He's like, he's like, no, I just robbed it a little so I could rob it more. Hmm. But um, yeah, so yeah, he did rob a bank and then he robbed it twice. There's some other things he he's gotten into. He also played in the USFL. Hmm. Um, for the Boston Breakers. 
I swear, some of these names just get me sometimes. Which, there is a hilarious story because they talked about that in Crime and Sports. So, the owner of San Antonio didn't like paying the players, and he owed one of the players $24,000. So, what he did is he... Good he, God. He slipped... He slipped the the arena staff like a hundred bucks and he pulled a moving van up and he stole 6,000 folding chairs, drove them to Florida in this moving van and sold them for $8 a piece. And what? It, it was hilarious. <clears throat> and one guy, like one player like showed up at the owner's house with like a baseball bat. Like he waited for him to go home and followed him home. And he's like, He's like, where's my money? The guy's like, I'll be right back. And he gave him his $17,000 in hundreds. And the guy um drove home after that with his money. Yeah. His hard-earned money, I would say. Yeah. I would, yeah. I think that's a fair way to put it. But yeah. Um, also, USFL is where Herschel Walker went right out of college. And Jim Kelly went out of college and like had obscene stats like, I think he had like 5,500 yards passing his first season and like 45 touchdowns. <laughs> okay. But yeah, um, so... So this match, like I, I'm familiar with Falcone. You know, I hear his name, that sort of stuff. But the guy he's facing, is, this is not something I expected to see. A, this, what do you got, mean? this one had to be a rib, right? I would think. I tried to look up footage of him from other promotions and he did other stuff, but I didn't see enough of him in the matches to see if he did like the whole dusty impersonation in, um, because like, because I think he, he's got two things he's doing here and I, I could see a guy doing indie dates doing a dusty knockoff. Just, just for, just for the listeners, if you didn't catch it, the other guy's name is Randy Rhodes. He's kind of a heavy set guy with bleach blonde hair, yeah, black uh, trunks, white uh-huh. boots, red knee pads. Yeah, not the deceased um Black former... Sabbath. Yeah. Not him. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a a guy who looks like a dollar store version of, of Dusty. But I, <laughs> I thought just uh, I we didn't have know. Dusty Rhodes at home and mm. it's Randy Rhodes instead. <laughs> I I didn't know, but see, like, I could see a guy that looks like him, though, doing that to get bookings in the early 90s. God, that was a big thing in the, it seemed like in 90s indies had so many big gimmick knockoffs. Well, that that was a big thing in the um, 70s and 60s, like, um, like, outlaw promotions would do that, or bookers would do things like that, like... They would do it to like rib guys. Like there was um, there was like promo- there was like a promoter that was like messing with Bill Watts and like his notable notable racism. So they took like a black wrestler and called him Gorilla Watts, just to like screw with Bill Watts. That's you know? not what I thought you were gonna say. And, well, no, I but they, they were, were like call him Bill Watts, and it's W H A T S. No, they they but they were they were they were doing that directly to like rip on him being like notably racist at the time. And there was like, um, there was a guy that wrestled in New York that went by Batman and he dressed up like Batman and wrestled his Batman in the sixties. Um, there was one I saw, like, I don't remember the guy's name. Like it was like Bobo Brazil, but, but Brazil was spelled wrong. And it was obviously like a guy that was five ten and just fat and not Bobo Brazil. Like, so it's, 
it's um it's a well trod um trope in wrestling i remember some indie shows from the 90s by the way one of the others that uh, i i don't i don't know if it ever happened but the thought crossed my mind it's like if you're gonna advertise on the radio we have lou fez that's gonna be there tonight um but just I remember an indie show rude that had – what's up? I said rude and rude. You can't yeah. rip on Fez like that. <laughs> rude and rude. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the late 90s, there was an indie show I saw the poster for, and they didn't have the oddities. They had the oddness. And it was a group of guys that were doing tie dye gimmicks, and like they were they were an oddities from the WWF ripoff, like of all of the things you're gonna pick, you're gonna go with like you're gonna do a ripoff Golga. I I, I guess that makes sense. You put a mask on him, it can be any heavy set guy you've got, but I I'm not I don't like that's the choice you're gonna go with. I don't, I don't know. Sorry, I kind of ran out of steam there. No, you're fine. No, but that 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 dates back forever. I mean, that was an yeah. easy way to get people, because you can like you can put that like especially in the olden days, you could put that on a poster and you might not catch it right away, especially if yeah. like, you don't have pictures of the guys. Well, there are some some guys I worked with on the indies that would, they did not use. Um, they didn't use the gimmick name, but they were like very much the same style as someone you saw on TV. So like having a guy that worked the same moves as like Edge or Shawn Michaels or something like that, you would see that. And I guess it would just be because it's easy to um, it, it's easy that way because you're just like these are the moves I do because this is what this person does, and you don't have to go through the headache of like building out your own move set for what seems natural or anything it's just like well this is what this move set does is what i do yeah and this guy wrestled exactly like dusty it was it was like diet coke dusty but yeah anyway actually I, you know he wasn't for an impersonator he could have been really bad and i actually thought he was okay as a worker okay that's fair enough i love how the announcers were just like goofing around with it they're like, oh, that reminds me of somebody, and then they went off this way, and like, no, 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 that's not it. And it reminds me of this. No, no, that's not it. But then Scott Hudson just he pinned the tail right on the donkey. He goes, well, he's dropping those elbows, but they're not bionic, so they're not keeping the man down. Well, you can tell, you can tell during a lot of points on the, especially when Scott Hudson's announcing, but when um, when like um, Stephen DeTruth comes in later, mm-hmm. you can tell. You can tell Scott Hudson's trying to pop his his co-announcer sometimes, and you could tell in this one he was trying to pop Craig Johnson. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fun. But you can tell they were just having fun with it. I thought this was inoffensive, but it wasn't great. Yeah, I didn't like the pacing very much because um, it, was, it was kind of a herky-jerky start-stop thing. And even when it got going, it it was kind of slow. But it wasn't bad. It was okay. I didn't hate my life. <laughs> yeah, I didn't okay. hate it, but I thought it was just it was just kind of there. It was it was a almost a curiosity because 
the whole like du- dusty impersonation essentially. Do you mm-hmm. like fat men fighting each other? Yeah. Because Sweet Daddy Falcone has like a weird forehead to him. He really does. It might be the hairline. I don't know. He had something weird going on with his like head. It, it, he it's it's funny because he looked like someone that would have a receding hairline and yet his hair did not look like it was receding it looked full on the front edge so yeah um, so then um so we get a buddy landell promo um i actually like this one because he was just being an obnoxious asshole i liked how he kept calling some random guy in the audience like a hay baler <laughs> It, it, it this is this I mean you could call it it's another could we stop and get some Ric Flair no we have Ric Flair at home and it's Buddy Landell kind of thing but it's it's fun because you know where that it seems to be that that's part of the gimmick and he's having fun finding ways of being obnoxious in uh, non typical methods like you said the hay baler thing. He's really uh, – what I think was really remarkable about him is he just has the gift. Like, it's like he's just riffing off the top of his head. Like, yeah. it's like he didn't even know what he was going to say until he went out there. And he just – like, the first thing Craig Johnson – no, yeah, the first thing Craig Johnson said, he just started, like, riffing. Yeah. He just – he he might have been pretty good in an improv group, right? Yeah. No, Buddy Landell, <laughs> like, really, if, if he had just not – been his own worst enemy like he's really great and underrated wrestler i think his uh, he would be underrated because <clears throat> he was his own worst enemy yeah but like even yeah. here you can like even here like he's not at his peak but like he's still like just promo wise like you, he's the type of guy like the way he talks like you could job him every night and he would still be over as a heel yeah because he's obnoxious they that's that's one of the things I'm going to soapbox for just a second. Please bear with me. That's something that the advent of the cool heel has really hurt is there's not enough people willing to be just downright hated to be just downright obnoxious pains in the ass. Um, like you said with Landell, like Sammy Zayn is one of the, the, the current crop I can think of that is willing to do that. But there's just not enough people, it feels like, especially on the indies, who are willing to be just utter bastards of heels. And that, to me anyway, that, that hurts the product because it's like, you, if you want to be cool, you'd be a baby face. But you don't want to be a baby face because that's harder to do. But you want people to like you, but that's not what you're supposed to do as a heel, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <clears throat> no, Landell was actually very good. Um, he just couldn't get he couldn't get his demons under control, and it's really sad because like at at what in the mid '90s he actually did get a look at uh, by the WWF, mm. and it, maybe like late '90s, like it did seem. Like he potentially was going to have a run there. Oh wow! Um, you don't remember that? I remember like no, I, I remember yeah, at I least don't. one match he had that was actually aired on television. I don't I think it was on. It was on Raw. Yeah. Wow. And then and then like it never 
it, nothing ever happened. I while looking it up online, it looks like he suffered an injury. Oh, so I guess, okay. but I mean, he also like he had a lot of demons where yeah. it probably wouldn't have worked out long time. But the guy was a good enough worker that he could have been like at least a solid like mid card act, even for like the WWF that was kind of trending away from like that style. Like he could have still probably found like a niche there. It seemed to me that um, as much as Vince loves his thumbing the nose at people in particular stuff, mm-hmm. that he could have definitely had, you know, Gilberg proved that, right? Like, so mm-hmm. Nature Boy Buddy Landell definitely could have had his own spot doing that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know. It, I guess Vince is as fickle as he's ever been, so. He's like, well, you know, he came and he did this and he got hurt, so we don't want him. It's like, mm-hmm. of course, you're right. The the other side to it is with his personal demons. The the story I always heard was that Buddy Landell knew where it snowed in every city they went to. So that's not going to do anybody any favors. Um, is he still kicking around? No, he died. Who? No, Buddy? he died five-ish yeah, okay. years yeah. ago, maybe. Yeah, he died okay. quite some time ago. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Wanted to check. Okay. Oh, so but, we also get um. So up next we get the, the like their their tournament rules. Now this is where I do think they overthought things. So the way this tournament works is there's three brackets, and mm-hmm. then three men will come out of those brackets, and then they're going to do a coin flip, and then the losers of that coin. I don't know how this coin flip thing is going to work because. It seems you'd have to do more than one. But so the losers of the coin flip have to wrestle in like a fight in. And then the winner of the coin flip gets a buy to the tournament. You do that. You, you have three coin flips and whoever gets the same, the same side up, they have to have the match and whoever got the different side would be the one to get the buy. But the problem is you can have all three of them be the same. You just have like, it's, it's more complicated than it needs to be. And they went through the whole thing. Like, they said the words coin flip a lot. And then they said to stay tuned to see, like, to get more details on the rules. And so this this um, this breaks one of my cardinal rules of wrestling is that if you cannot if you could not properly describe it in a sentence, you have overthought it. And it's too complicated. <laughs> I mean, that that's goes, that's a that's pretty good ground rules. That goes it for is. gimmick matches, too. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, I, a lot of the great gimmick matches you can, if you're going to have a tape fist mask, it's like your fist is taped up and you put glass on it, or you know you're going to have a bull rope match, it's, it's uh, or a, like a Russian chain match. It's like you got two guys who are tied together by a chain, you got to hit the four corners to to win the match. Um, but when you got the coin flip and then you do the coin flip and the winners of the the winner of the coin flip gets a buy but the loser of the coin flip are going to have to have drawn and playing and then you just sit there and your eyes start to glaze over cuz words start to lose meaning whenever you hear them too often so you know that's fun yeah <laughs> now i will say at this point so we're we're about we're about halfway through the show the pacing of this show is excellent so far like you really do um you really do. It feels like it's really it's really snappy. Uh, this is a really easy watch, and I like that the commercials are still in there because I was amused by the 
Butterfinger commercials when Bart was like the spokesperson. Oh, I, <laughs> yes, I actually remember that. And I actually I noted that commercial in that. I'm like, oh, one of the old school Butterfinger commercials. I'd mm-hmm. forgotten he was a spokesperson. I thought like, oh, yeah, I remember these because <laughs> it was always like hands off my Butterfinger or something. Wasn't Better it? not lay a finger on my Butterfinger. That's right. Yes. I remember that because that line, for some reason or another, just cracked my grandfather up. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but there it was. So we get into what I, I, what I consider to be the main event here. So this is this is Stan Lane with Jim Cornette versus the Patriot. And um, mm-hmm. the first thing you'll note about the Patriot is he comes out. I don't. Is it <laughs> Jump by Van Halen or is it just like a instrumental like ripoff of it? I think it's actually Jump by Van Halen. Um. I, I was honestly not paying attention. I don't, you know what? It didn't even register for me. I'm not sure. We'll have to if we when we when we get to the second round, we'll have to. You'll have to. Yeah, we'll attention. have to look for it. So this is this is what I would call a star making performance on the part of Stan Lane and Jim Cornette. Mm. Oh my gosh, I I was telling Brad before we started recording that the. Uh, structure of this match is just magnificent because the whole thing the whole match is clearly structured to make the patriot not look good it makes the patriot look amazing and you know stan lane obviously very good Cornette, an amazing manager and what they're doing through the course of this they have this whole thing where stan lane can't get over on patriot honestly so they start cheating, but the thing is, even they're cheating. Like Cornette even like whacks with the racket, and it's not enough to stop the Patriot and and have Lane win. And it's they just do such a fantastic job. You know, Lane makes him look great. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear that the Patriots kind of green here, but he's. You know he's he's doing he's doing good, but he's he's not quite polished. Not in this is not a knock against him for him to be like this huge centerpiece of this promotion, and he's still like on the rise. He's still learning. That's he was only three years really in good. at this point. Yeah, three years in, <clears throat> and he's doing this, and it looks great. They do such a good job. Yeah, he um, I mean he wasn't. Three years in, he's not like it's not the same level of talent as, for example, Sting, who we watched some recent recently. We watched, you know, early matches from him mm-hmm. where probably at the same same amount of time in the business, he Sting was much further along the Patriot. But then Sting was also working with like really like the top level talent in the entire industry. Mm-hmm. So uh, he had done there, his there are, first. Um, mm-hmm. He had done his first All Japan tour by this point, though. Yeah, but and I I'll mean, get into he, I'll get into his matches here um, when you're done. Yeah, I mean, he he had done one of those, but he, if you actually listen to him, I listened to shoot interviews that he's given at least one, and he he would kind of he kind of admitted like he didn't really know <laughs> what he was doing at the time, uh-huh. or the lay of things, or how things really worked in in All Japan. Uh, he was still pretty green, but you could see here that there was there was talent there and there was potential. And more than that, he had something which like they did eventually make him as the, the main 
the main face of the GWF, the ace, if you will. He had like just really, really good charisma, which is something that I think you like all all the guys that have been presented as like your top stars. Well, I guess I shouldn't say all because sometimes people fail, but yeah. successful, successful top stars. They all have some sort of like next level charisma. Yeah. Like that's something that just clicks with with fans. And I, I do think Patriot had that. Like I, I remember when I was a kid watching this, I watched it in syndication and this was right after I, I just started getting into wrestling. Like any wrestling content I devoured. Mm-hmm. This was in syndication um, in my area. Like I was a huge fan of the Patriot. And I thought they did it smart. Like some people complain about that as a booking choice, but I thought I thought it was a really smart way to build a star, to have <clears> him win the T V title tournament and then <clears> go <throat> into the North American heavyweight title tournament as the T V yeah. champion and win that tournament too. Yeah, because then it it's not <clears throat> um first of all, if he stalls out and crashes and burns then, you know, your major title it doesn't fall with him. And then second, it's a build. You are building him up to that point. And I really like that too. You guys ready for some um so this is this is what his all Japan tour looked like. So he lost to I don't think he wins any matches, just FYI. So this is um Is is he working as the Patriot there no, or is he just as Del the Wilkes? He's working his ah. He's working his AWA gimmick, so he was just like a state, like a state trooper with the trooper okay. gimmick. Mm-hmm. So, oh um, God, they they retread that in Ready to Rumble the movie. I can't believe that stuck in my brain. Like he would write tickets in his promo sometimes. <laughs> um, okay, sorry, go ahead. So, um, so this is like September and August of 1990. So he loses to the Mighty in No Way, um, Giant Baba. Mighty Inoue and Rusher Kimura defeat Rip Morgan, Scotty the Body, and the Trooper. Um, Kenna Kobashi and Mitsuhara Mizawa defeat Scotty the Body and the Trooper. Um, he loses to Johnny Ace a couple times. He loses to Doug Furness. Um, Kobashi and Mizawa defeat Furness and the Trooper. Can-Am Express defeat Richard Charland and the Trooper. Uh, Hiroka Egan and... Toshi Okuma defeat Richard Charlin and the Trooper. He loses to Ken and Kibashi. Um, he loses with Rip Morgan to Akira Tawe and Jumbo Saruta. Um, and then Mizawa and Kawada beat him twice, once teaming with Scotty the Body and once with Rip Morgan. Mm. So that is... Um, so, th- so I think he was getting some seasoning by this point because that is like a murderer's row of... talent they are they are definitely giving him some salt and pepper there yeah especially kawada yeah and that's that's grumpy old man uh sarita too oh because that's like when so that's like kind of that era of all japan where they had just switched to the triple crown he's like their top guy and mizawa had just Maybe a year or two before. Do you remember when he took off the tiger mask mask and started wrestling as Mazala again, Matt? Was it like 88 or 89? Do you know? I have to look that up. Um, that sounds about right. The timeline wise. Yeah. Look. So this is this is about is it? 
I think this is about a year before Mizawa finally wins it because he either wins it for the first time in 91 or 92. So what they what they kind of do in Japan, uh, Shad, is mm-hmm. so like the first time Mizawa challenged Saruta, Saruta like just, you know, destroys him. Then he challenges again and he does better. And then they have like a couple of matches and he subsequently like pushes him harder each time until he finally wins the belt. That's kind of mm-hmm. how Japanese promotions like bring a guy up to win the belt. Okay. And they're like tiered, um, their tiered booking system. And then like in the early eighties, like, like 83 and 84 before he becomes tiger mask, he's just like a jobber essentially for like juniors. Okay. But he was the second tiger mask for a lot of the eighties. Okay. So Patriot was getting his, uh, uh, getting his salt on that at this point. I, I, I'm not saying he's not good in this match, but you, I mean you can tell he's he's not quite. It's set up to it's it's really set up to accentuate his um strength. And we, yeah. we watched it on a different episode, but when they get to the final, like his final mm-hmm. with Buddy Landell, I thought was really good because we watched that mm-hmm. on a previous episode. I think there he holds his own a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, building up to that point. Hey, Brad. Yeah. It looks actually like 1990 is when he unmasked. Oh, okay, okay, I was I was wrong then. That was a that was a little later than I thought. Yeah, that, that was. I thought it was like 89. Mhm. So good to know. Um. So, uh, this this so there's some fallout from this match because uh, Jim Cornette and Stan Lane have some issues with each other post match. Mhm. And then we also get a, a, a brief promo from the Patriot. Yeah. And then I'm going to go ahead and do this now because um, I don't remember where the, the question was asked. So they, they do this fan question and answer uh, thing. So this is obviously a debut episode, but they they bring a fan in with Bonnie Blackest, Blackenstone. And he asks uh, why Big Bully Busick uses the heart, an illegal heart move punch. like the heart punch. And yep. it's like one. So there's there's a two part thing to this. And we kind of kind of talked about it at the top of the show. One, this fan has not seen Big Bully Busick wrestle yet. I'm 99 <laughs> percent sure. And, he has a hard time saying both Big Bully Busick and he has a hard time getting his line out solid. Well, I think he's, I think the cue card might not have been easy to read. <laughs> and then. One, so one, he's never seen Big Bully. He doesn't even know who Big Bully Busick is, obviously. But the second is, I don't even think the guy knows what a heart punch is or, like, the concept of it or why that move would be illegal. Yeah, his inflection whenever he's saying this, and it's so weird that that's what I'm going into on, but it's all over the place. His inflection is just, why do you use the heart punch uh, when it's illegal? It's like... And I'm not I'm not imitating it per, probably very closely, but you know the tone is is not if you know we have a fan question. Yeah, why is Big Bully Music allowed to use the heart punch when that's an illegal move? They should have had there an you, eight-year-old ask this, honestly. Because the British <laughs> yes, Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. Yeah. Because <laughs> this guy, this guy was obviously. I think this guy was obvious. I think this guy wasn't necessarily a huge wrestling fan. I think he got a free ticket and was like, "Hey, I bet the beer's cheap there, and 
and it's something to do on a Friday night that's not like sitting in my crappy apartment watching the paint peel off the wall. They just pick somebody out of the crowd, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but I, I would have picked a kid or a, like I would have gotten a plant like a smart fan that could have mm. made that work a little better. But um, so then they, they come back later. Like this is over the course of a couple segments. And then she asks Big Bully Busick and he pretty much calls it the bully blaster and says it is not a heart punch. And um, actually, I thought he, his part of it was decent. Like his promo was decent. Didn't necessarily make me want to see him wrestle, but I thought it did an okay job of like kind of establishing a character for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, his cigar didn't seem lit real well, and he he definitely dodged around the point. I remember the the first time we talked about him in an episode, and I don't remember how far back it was. It, it I was laughing because. He did the heart punch on the wrong side. Like, you know, the heart punch is you, you take the left arm, you basically um, wrist lock it and then tuck it behind their head. So it, it lifts the left arm up and exposes the rib cage there. And that's where you do the heart punch. Right. Well, he did it on the wrong side. That's because like, he's so that good at it. Bully blaster? That's because he's so good at it, Shad, that he has to do it on the wrong side or he'll kill them. Okay. He'll rip See, their he'll rip their heart straight out like an Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Kalima. Yes. Kalima. That's why he also doesn't say that because he would rip their heart out even from the other side. I don't remember that guy uh, having the the glorious handlebar mustache that Big Bully Busick has either. I mean, Busick's got a handlebar mustache that makes Civil War generals. Well, I mean, jealous. I mean, if if you were if you were routinely ripping guys' hearts out, would you want to <laughs> have to clean the heart blood out of your gorgeous handlebar mustache like on an hourly basis? Well, since you put it that way, I'm gonna have to agree with you. Uh, but I, I I wondered. I don't know if they ever established it, and it's like. Because he calls it the bully blaster, he says it's not a heart punch. Is I mean, is that the why? Is that he he's doing it on the right, and it's a lung punch instead of a I heart think, punch? I think they get into it later, and he he says I think they 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 pin it down later, and he justifies it by saying that he does it differently, like he uses more like his like thumb in like a punching motion than an actual punch. I think is what the justification ends up being. That seems kind of weak. I know. Yeah. Side anyway. note, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is like a miss in the original trilogy, but not as nowhere near as bad as Crystal Skull, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. Crystal. So I'm, I'm going to admit something, and this mm-hmm. is a tangent. Growing up, my dad loved watching Unsolved Mysteries and Alien stuff, right? And it freaked the hell out of me. Like, the whole Grays thing freaked me out. And, like, to this day, I still hate it, right? So, my friend went and one of my best friends went and saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull opening weekend. And I was planning to go see it because it's Indiana Jones, right? I love Indiana Jones. Last Crusade's one of my favorite movies. After he got out of the movie, he gave me a call. He says, don't go see it. 
I said, why is that? He says, because this is Indiana Jones and the giant joke they play on Shad. Because Shad loves Indiana Jones and hates aliens. So what do we put at the end of his Indiana Jones movie? Big honking aliens. It's just like, well, I appreciate the heads up. You know you know what I love about um, Raiders of the Lost Ark that they would never do in a movie now because Hollywood sucks? Is when when he has that big showdown with the guy and he's doing all the fancy sword stuff and he just takes his gun out and shoots him. And the only reason, the mm. only reason, yeah. the only reason they did that scene that way is because they are going to do like an elaborate fight. But Harrison Ford had awful diarrhea on the day of the shoot, so they improv yeah. that. I think Ford improv it, didn't he? Yeah, because but it's all because he he had horrible diarrhea and he couldn't do it. <laughs> he That's, couldn't get through the thing without yeah, without sharding himself. They hit to the bathroom, so. The guy comes and does the whole thing, and Indy just shoots him, and that is like a character-defining moment. And it's one uh, – another thing I don't think you would see is the hero fails but still comes out ahead in the end. Yeah, I would agree with Cause, that. Because Indy in, in, in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, he didn't win. He just happened to survive. Oh yeah, I mean he just, he just failed less than the other ones. Um that kind of did horrify me. Not the guy's head blowing up. I was okay with that, but like the guy's face is melting. Yeah. And um the love interest like when they have that whole fight, he goes to grab that medallion and burns his hand and he like runs outside to like put his hand out in the snow. That <clears throat> that always bugged me as a Oh, and and then put it in the 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 tomb of snakes wasn't necessarily pleasant either. No, mm-hmm. I agree with that. And it has Gimli I, um, in it. Yes. Oh, that's it, right. It, it does. John yes. Yep. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, he shows back up in Last Crusade too. Yep. Yeah. And he's in Sliders. I actually yeah. don't think Temple of the Doom is that bad of a film. Like upon repeat viewings, it actually there's a lot that's actually kind of fun about it. The problem is that it tries. It kind of tries to be a little too cutesy at points, and the problem is that Raiders of the Lost Ark was so good, and then uh, Last Crusade is like so good that I, I think it gets hurt in comparison. Mm. I mean, it wasn't little, a great film. It's a little too supernatural heavy for me too. <clears throat> yeah. Also, underrated part of Last Crusade is when that they're coming up on them in the plane and Sean Connery takes his umbrella and gets all those birds to fly up. Oh yeah. I remembered my Charlemagne. That's uh, that whole movie's just great. Like front to back. That's a great movie. And last crusade. I just, I just enjoy the hell out of it over and over and over again. I, there's a handful of movies that exist that I could just, they never get old to me. And that's one of them. Um, I just love it. Okay, uh, I'm gonna stop because otherwise we're gonna turn into this is gonna turn into an Indiana Jones episode, and it's <laughs> I'm trying to bring us back over. It's um, uh, it's I, the last thing I'll say is Indiana Jones is like I think the most successful attempt at like modern pulp because Indiana yeah. Jones is like a, they're purely like they're they're they are a pure distillation of like 30s and 40s pulp novels onto film. I would absolutely, I would agree with that, and I don't. I am struggling to think of a, of another property that actually gets it right and successfully. The Mummy. 
the mummy got the first mummy got it right. Yeah, that that's a that's a good example. The first mummy was yeah, a good. That's that's fair. I would. I'm not gonna say it's fair. as good, but it's a good example. Brandon Fraser, Rachel Wise, and whoever else the hell was in it they all do a good job they that's, screwed that's it, a good one they screwed it up and got too excessive with the sequel but the first one is a very good pulp novel wait yeah. wait wait tie-in because isn't no it's not it just made me, it reminds me of him never mind the brother the the one guy who's a member of the cruciform reminds me of the guy who was in the mummy because they a, kind of have similar there's a couple uh, of Bruce well, Lee movies, I think, that are actually good, like um, pulp novels. Like, I can't – I'm really bad with remembering the names, but the one where he's, like, avenging his teacher. Which is Game of Death, or is that – No, it's not Game of Death. It's 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 not Enter the Dragon. No, it's – it's it might be Fist of Fury. Yes, it's Fist of Fury. Fist of Fury is an excellent pulp mm-hmm. – excellent pulp movie in its own right. You think because uh, uh, wait um, the movie that had Bruce Lee fight Chuck Norris at the Coliseum in Rome I always screw the name up of that one that's Way of the Dragon that's what the problem is um, Fist of Fury is what I was thinking of so yeah, Fist of Fury yeah, I think Fist... is a good pulp esque novel yeah movie um, Way of the Way of the Dragon hmm. Way of the Dragon is kind of like playing um, – it's kind of like playing uh, an 80s kung fu video game. Not kung fu because kung fu is basically just the game of death. But it, Way of the Dragon is Bruce Lee comes in to help his family who's running a restaurant in Rome and fights like tougher and tougher guys who are affiliated with the street gang that's trying to shake them down until you get to the big boss that's Chuck Norris. So. He's not the boss. He's the hired hitter they bring in, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So then our main, anyway, our TWS. main event. Our main <laughs> event is Bill Irwin versus El Fantasma. So I what so shocking. <laughs> I did some research here, and El Fantasma. I thought it was just some dude they put a mask on and pretended he was a luchador, but he is a legitimate luchador, and he oh, still no, he is. He mm-hmm. still wrestles as of last year, and he's been wrestling since 1979. Now he um he's he was also like or he either is or has been like the like a sports commissioner down in Mexico like he hmm. yeah and am, am I wrong is he is is he associated in, in a way with um with Santos Escobar and the other Legado del Fantasma I think he might be. Uh, I think so yeah cause... I think he might be like the he actually might be like the patriarch or somewhat related to them. I went looking for the same thing that uh, that Brad did, and uh, El Santo Escobar showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's I can't I, I don't remember the how, but yeah, it was in there. I just thought because um. I thought he and Bill Irwin had some communication issues, like their styles didn't quite match up well here. So I kind of thought I was kind of blaming him and I thought they just put some dude under a mask. But I think it was just a style clash and I don't think Bill Irwin meshed well with him. Oh, yeah. No, his I thought this was like a total styles class. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I actually I did. I did, it did bring a smile to my face because I remember wild Bill Irwin from from all my old 
like as a child watching GWF. Like he was uh, he was a mainstay in GWF. So I enjoyed that, but this 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 didn't work. Like I wouldn't have put Wild Bill with Phantasma. No, I would have put like, him with Sweet Daddy Falcone or Randy Rhodes. I think. Yeah, and I mean. The Brian Adias match and Billy Black was fine, but if you're going to have Billy Black go over, like if you had paired B- Billy Black with Phantasma, it probably would let it probably would have been like a different, a, a better match. Yeah, because I think I think um, I think it would have let El Phantasma feel a little more free to to move mm-hmm. around, and Billy Black could have kept up with him because I felt like I felt like it felt like El Phantasma <clears throat> had two left feet in this match. And I think the problem was is he couldn't do what he wanted because I don't think Bill Irwin could keep up mm-hmm. with with him yeah. moving around too much. So he wrestled Bill Irwin's match, which I don't think – I'm guessing – I think I looked at it and he was like a UWA guy. But I'm betting this was like one of his first like North American style matches. Mm. Yeah. It was like his first like foray. Mm-hmm. Um into North America, so I think like not being in like a hardcore lucha thing, so I think he just I think it was just a bad first outing for him. Yeah. Uh by the way, I just looked it up. Uh Santos Escobar is uh Phantasma's son. How old is like, Phantasma now? Is he in like in his seventies? I don't have a uh I don't have a an age for him. Santos is thirty seven, so based upon that I'm I'm guessing at the least, like 60. El Fantasma is in his 60s, like possibly edging into 70. I mean, he could be he could be like late 50s if he if he if he had like him at like in his you know 20 or something. But which that sometimes happens with with luchadors. Like, let me look up Rey Mysterio. Like Rey is. He, let's see if he wrestled in so let's see, 20, 38, 48. No, he'd have to be if he was eighteen and seventy nine. He'd have to be in his sixties now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that's not. I mean, it's not impossible because uh, look, Dominic is Dominic Mysterio is twenty four, mm-hmm. and Ray Junior is forty six. So I mean, yeah, like and, he had Dominic when he was like twenty two. Like that happens sometimes. And Ray, some, of these, Ray some of these families is a teenager too. So I oh, guess yeah, Ray yeah, he was like 14, sixteen, wasn't he? No, yeah. he was fourteen. Because oh. he was only like in WCW, he was like, I think in '97 he was what like 20, and I think he was five years in by that point. Because I think he'd been wrestling since like '93. That least. always kind of yeah. That always kind of fascinates me with wrestling. It, it, it happens less in in America, but it does. It it will happen still, kind of in Joshi. largely like. In, in Mexico and Joshi. Yeah. I actually, is it, it's, I don't know if it's stardom or like one of the other promotions, but there's a worker called lady C, uh, who apparently like in, in her real life, she's like a, like a, a junior high school teacher, or a high school teacher. And she just worked a match with someone who, and lost the match. And it, it came out afterwards. Like, Oh, the girl is actually like in middle school or something. I think- and it's like, what? How old is this girl? And the girl's probably like 14, 15. Let me like, look, because Momo, Momo's only, <clears throat> Momo's really young, and I think she was wrestling when she was 15 or 16, and had been wrestling for a while. Well, it does sometimes make sense, because you ha- you will have people like 
like Mako Sat- Satamura, who is like in her early 40s and she's been wrestling forever. But then you will also have Joshi workers who it's like they retire. They, they retire like after 10 years. And it's like, oh, that's not that long of a career. How old are they? And you find out they're like 24. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> what? Well, remember, yeah. Joshi used to make them retire at like 27, didn't they? <clears throat> I don't know. Some of these girls get like injuries. There's been I'm I'm trying to get more into Joshi in the, in the last like year or so, but I don't have a lot of free time to do it. But I, there was a time like in the two thousands when I was watching more of it. And there was some really, really talented workers who then like retired like in their mid twenties, not even because they, they were forced to, but they just had like injuries. And it's like, there are, there are just mm-hmm. some people's bodies who handle bumping better than others. And, some of them do great, and some of them, they just don't last real long. See, Momo, no. Momo Watanabe is 21 years old, and she's been wrestling wow. for six years. Wow. Well, remember, um, but sometimes they do, I think AZM was, AZM is 18 years old, and she's been wrestling for six years. Mm. But, like, if you, if you watch those shows, though, like the stardom shows, they usually open in, like, six six mans like their trainers out there they're not like really doing anything organized they're just like they're just goofing around and throwing a bunch of spots at each other and they don't even bump like hardcore like like that match that people get all upset at kenny omega for with the (laughs) nine-year-old like if you actually watch that match like she never really bumps like she does a couple of pratfalls but it's really just like kenny pretending like he's gonna do something and then was that was that against Riho or no, was that against? No, I don't think so. I think, was that I against think, President President Ramu? Maybe no. President Ramu was President Ramu's. Um, she's the she did the, she does the Undertaker thing, right? She did when she was a kid. That she's actually fascinating because I actually follow her on social media because she she did essentially like an Undertaker gimmick. She basically ate the Undertaker and she was like what like eight years old or something like that 13 she was a little older maybe but no it wasn't her i don't don't remember i think she was was, i think she was younger than that but she um she was doing that she's also kind of doing like a uh like onrio like vengeful japanese spirit gimmick um but the funny thing is like she disappeared for years and years and years and just came back like and in the last couple years has come back as chairman ramu aka ram kaicho like she's an actual worker now and She's not that bad, and she's she, she's with the 666 promotion and is, like, real – I would say she's she's earning her pay. Like, she, 666, I guess, is the promotion, not 666. She she really is actually promote. she does a lot of promote, to promote that company and I think does a really good job of it. And she's not that bad of a worker and is still doing, like, kind of like the whole gimmick, but – it's 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 like weird because like she left and came back and she's probably like in her early 20s she can't be that that old no. she's probably like 24 at the latest i'd have to look and she's also i mean japanese workers are just generally not that in terms of female workers joshi workers they're just generally not that big like i mentioned lady c a second ago she's she looks when she's working she's almost like a kevin nash type in terms of like size compared to the other girls, and she's legit only maybe like five ten or something. I think Starlight wow. Kid in Stardom is four eleven <laughs> and ninety nine pounds. 
Yeah, I mean, well, Chairman Rouse probably like five feet tall. She's really small and petite. Starlight Kid, I think, is going to probably lose her mask, right? Like I she's, would say so, yeah. She's, she's, I think she's going to become like the next. I mean, she's kind of like already like popular, but she's probably going to be like the next big thing. And like, I mean, you get you get bigger workers like Jungle Kiona's probably like she's not tall, but she's probably like in the one forty to one fifty range, and that like. You mm-hmm. can really tell, like, they've given her, like, she has size to her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, why are you coded wrestled? Well, yeah, if you're, if you're facing girls who were like 100 pounds. Like... Good lord. Sorry, oh I, got, I got distracted. I saw Jaguar Yakota wrestled yesterday. <laughs> there were some guys in one of the places I work that were, like, legitimately half my, half my size. Mm-hmm. And I only got to work – I got to work with them very briefly, but good lord, I felt like a monster out there with them. You know, it's just, just so easy to move them around. I think, though, um, they, they cover it well. Like, I know you watched it and you liked it, but that um, that Aja Kong um, versus Minami Toyota match, like, there was a size disparity there, but they worked it really well. That's – like, when it comes to wrestling in general – Part of my suspension of disbelief is, for the most part, I'm going, I'm looking for a way for a little guy to be able to get over on a big guy, because you know, otherwise, you know, what's the fun in watching? If the little guy can't do something to get over on the big guy, then you know, you can just watch a hundred other fights and see the same thing. I think what was so good about that match, though, is is like they kind of threw pretense to the wind and like everything Minami was trying to do to Aja Kong, like was like this, like desperation home run shot. Like she hits like a comes, like she hits that like um, top rope, like power bomb thing on her, like almost immediately because everything she does is like just a desperation. Like I have to like every move has to be like a killer move because otherwise she's just going to murder me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the whole match, like every time she doesn't get a three, you can just see Aja Kong is just like perplexed and annoyed and like more disappointed each time because she's just like, mm-hmm. oh, like, why won't she just stop? I'm going to kill her. And if we, she doesn't quit this, I am going to kill her we really without need meaning to. to do an Aja Kong show because she is like there are few people that have ever had an aura like she's had. Oh, yeah. She's she's one of the top female wrestlers of the last. I would like, say I would say she's the top worker of all time. Like I wouldn't even like limit her by continent or gender. Like she. Yeah, I was gonna say like last fifty years, but it, you could. She's one of the best of all time. She's Vader esque in like her. I was actually just gonna say that for those who have never seen her work, like she is probably best comparable to Vader. She's Vader if after beating you up, Vader might just eat your face because he can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way, like the best version of Vader, like Vader at his peak, like that was Aja Kong. Yeah. And I would say she had a more sustained peak. Oh, she uh, had than, like, than Vader. she had what, like a 10 year, 12 year peak. Yeah. And that's no disrespect to Vader. Cause I, I, we've talked about him on the show before. Like I, I'm a fan of Vader. I think Vader, Vader had really good stuff in the early 90s uh kind of got lost in the shuffle in wwe but then when he went back to japan had 
several more really great matches. Mm-hmm. So he had he had a good long career, but Aja Kong, I would say, pound, uh, if you want to compare a pound for pound, Aja, Aja Kong probably had a better career. Yeah, I would agree. So this was, but yeah, we should we should do a retrospective of her. Like that would be something different and actually really fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this this was the end of this show. Um, I actually thought from top to bottom, I actually was shocked how easy this show went down. Like how it was done, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's over already. Like I can't I can't believe that that's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. it went super easy. It went brisk. It was quick. So I I enjoyed this a lot. I thought this was a good show. Um, for a debut show, I thought it was good because it would make me want to come back and watch again. I agree. It would not be – it's not hard to imagine um, that you you look at you, – you could watch some of these. You know, Brad called them, um, you know, uh, candy. It's it's popcorn. You know, it's, it's easy. It's not heavy. It goes down easy enough. There's – Every now and then you'll get a hole that sticks in your teeth, but it's, you know, easy enough to, to enjoy. So, um, so I think, I think part two, which I'm hoping we can get to in a couple of weeks. I think that has Terry Garvin in it. I think Mucka Singh wrestles. <laughs> I know, I think, and I think Rip Rogers, Doug Summers and Chris Walker are in there too. Who's the hit man? Sorry. I'm looking. I think. Okay. Oh, the Cuban assassin. Okay. Cuban gotcha. in there too. I haven't seen him in a long time, actually. So we'll be back. Um, we're gonna do cartoons next week. We might be back after that with another GWF episode. I we're we're double recording after this one because Shad's being a slacker and like doing something instead of podcasting at the end of the month. Yeah, something like that. Something so, about uh, vacation and no, stuff. there's no vacation to it. it there's there's um, family visiting from halfway across the country. So, but I'm not taking any time off because I don't know. Hey, for as much as I want to go on vacation, I never take vacation time. So, um, so yeah, we'll we'll be we'll get be getting back into GWF in the near future. So, uh, guys, was there anything else you wanted to? Uh, Mentioned to cap this off, or we pretty good. Uh, I'm good. I enjoyed this greatly. Um, there's, I really have a soft spot for the GWF, to be honest. I would have to agree. Like I, I have a, it, it's a big nostalgia for me because I did watch so much of it back in the day. Um, and I will never complain about having a pretty good uh, Patriot match on the show. Yeah, same here. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us on on this um i believe this show is available on youtube isn't it yes that's where we watched it so mm-hmm. if you want to if you want to see what we're talking about easy enough to hunt up on youtube um let us know on our social media what you think were we on base were we off base we'd love to hear from you so this is shad with matt and brad we've been in three quarters you're in the fourth and we will see you next time <laughs>